Welcome to the Talking Solutions Podcast. I'm your host, Will Cheshire. And in this podcast, I speak with impact-driven founders and share their real-time stories about how their solution has a positive impact on society. This is a show for founders, investors, and all individuals looking for some positivity and optimism as you hear from people working hard to help better our society and our planet. You can expect to learn about some awesome new products and services in this show that will bring you more hope in our quest to solve some of society's biggest issues. Let's dive in to this week's episode of the Talking Solutions Podcast. This episode of the Talking Solutions Podcast is focusing on a solution that I truthfully have never thought much about and highlights a problem that I wasn't very aware of that's unfortunately still very prevalent in the U.S. today. And we're talking about the over 40 million Americans that suffer from some form of functional illiteracy today. And that has a direct negative impact on people's lives as an adult. So I'm sitting down with Reading to New Heights co-founder Deidre Mayberry and learning about how they are empowering people to improve their literacy and their lives through virtual programs that tutor people on their reading in a space that is both welcoming and comfortable. Functional illiteracy is a problem that can impact your life in a lot of different ways. And I'm so excited to share this episode to bring awareness to it and highlight this great solution so that you can help Deidre and the Reading to New Heights team solve this problem and bring more opportunities to the lives of the many people who suffer from functional illiteracy. So let's dive right into it and highlight this fantastic solution from nonprofit organization, Reading to New Heights. Deidre, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How are you today? I'm so good, Will. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. And Deidre, your solution is something that really intrigued me a little bit in large part because I don't think anyone really talks about it. It's not something that's commonly known, uh, at least for me and, and amongst the people that I'm aware of. And I like to think I'm, I'm commonly aware of most things, but maybe not this one, obviously. So I think it's important that we kind of get this message out and talk a little bit about what this problem is. So I would like for you, Deidre, just to chat a little bit about what Reading to New Heights is and, and the solution that it provides to this old reading uh, illiteracy problem uh, that we have in the U.S. today. Yeah, so uh, Reading to New Heights, we're a nonprofit that support uh, adults with their literacy. So whether they're functionally illiterate or they're just illiterate, uh, we support by giving tutoring to um, teach them how to read like they're learning for the very first time. And our goal is to help them to have a better quality of life by getting um, such a life skill that is necessary. (laughs) Yes, yes. It's essential to a large part of our jobs, especially whatnot, as we grow more and more into the educational route with college and university. Uh, You said something there. Um, that I'd like you to define a little bit for for the listeners. So we have obviously illiterate, which I think a lot of people are more familiar with that word. But then we have functional literacy is something that you had just mentioned as well. So can you just kind of define a little bit that problem and, and kind of where the average reading levels are and things of that nature? Because I think it's something that, you know, a lot of people just really don't think about, to be honest. So um, an illiterate person is someone who cannot read or write at all. So I always like to define that for those who don't know. Um, someone who is functionally illiterate, They have some skills, but they don't have the necessary skills that they would need to truly function in life and to to feel confident and comfortable. So that can be, they could be reading at a first, second, third grade level, or they can be reading at eighth grade level, but still not as an adult where they would need to be from going through high school, even some college. Um, And it's just really holes 
um, in their literacy. And, um, you know, one of the most interesting facts is most adults um, are not reading above a sixth grade level. And really and truly, that's mind blowing when you kind of find out that information, um, which is why a lot of um, things are written at a lower level to make sure everyone can fully comprehend and um, get the information. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, you know, when you're learned in, in your writing for for the Internet, for example, and online or even in journalism at times, you know, sometimes that you, you you're taught to write at, you know, what's called like a fifth grade reading level. Right. And, you know, my initial reaction was why a fifth grade reading level and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And of course, there are many other factors that go into into that reading level as well. But, you know, that's something that kind of clicks a little bit now, like, oh, OK, so this is making ensuring that everybody is accessible and can fully digest and understand everything. So I find that really interesting. And, and Deidre, I'd be curious to, to know, you've mentioned this before about, you know, having that kind of better life and opening up more opportunities to the ability to read is something uh, I think that people that have no issue with that take for granted. What are some of the, the setbacks and the challenges that adults or, or people might be facing when, when they don't have a full functional literacy ability and things of that nature? There's truly so many, but um, just some of the bigger things that I think about is one, just their um, ability to really function through life. Something as simple as doctor's appointments. So most people can't fill out the paperwork. You know, we've all been to the doctor. You have to fill out so much. And some people will just do to being um, afraid of being exposed. Won't just go. They won't go to the doctor. They're taking the wrong medicines. They don't know the right doses from something as simple as cooking instructions. One of the, the things I noticed a lot that I use personally in my story is when you got to eat and if you can't read the menu, um, you rely on the pictures. You rely on what's the special of the day. Well, what do you recommend and what do you love? And it's one of those ways that, you know, you have to figure it out. Also reading signs. So I know, um, Growing up, and even as an adult, I still know exits by numbers because I couldn't read. I couldn't read what it said, so I had to remember all the numbers. So I'm like, oh, yeah, it's exit 18. That's where I live. But I never could say the street name until I figured out what it was. Um, so, so many things from just directions. If you were having to take public transportation, reading maps, um, filling out your your children's paperwork, even being able to support your children in school. There's just so many different things, jobs. So um, there are certain jobs you may not be able to have, or um, there, there are just so many limitations truly that you almost can feel hopeless and you can feel stuck and you can feel, you know, well, I can't do this thing. So let me just do this other thing. And it just, it just becomes, um, you dig yourself in a hole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a really great point. Like, it, it, there are so many little things that you just think about non-consciously or subconsciously these days where it's like, oh, read a menu item, that's no problem. But I've been fortunate enough to spend a, a good amount of time in, in foreign countries. And obviously, sometimes being in a foreign country, you can't understand the language. And then you're mentioning the reading and looking at pictures and then exit numbers. And I'm like, ah, oh, ah, see, okay. And it's that is not the most convenient thing out there. It's it definitely requires little mental tricks and activity. But Deidre, I want to get a little bit more background on you a little bit and why you decided to to start this great nonprofit reading to new heights and offering these programs and in a space that's comfortable for for some of these adults to improve their their reading levels on that nature as well. So tell me a little bit about yourself and and why you decided to to uh, be a co-founder here for Reading to New Heights. It took me forever to say this out loud, but so uh, growing up, I struggled with reading. And I never really mastered it. So I just kept fumbling through. Um, and then I became an adult who um, couldn't read. 
So in that, um, my own personal experiences of um, just the struggles and having these goals and dreams to do more, but knowing I was lacking a skill, so I couldn't do it. And I just remember when I was, once I turned 18, I went to go try to get tutoring or help for myself or whatever that looked like. But because I was of age, I got turned away because I was no longer 17 years or younger. So there's lots of great programs for children, which there, there needs to be. Um, but what happens when, you, when you're a child and you don't master it, then you become an adult who needs um, that those same great programs. And what I found, I'm not saying that there weren't any, but they weren't accessible or they didn't work with um, what I needed at that time. So they have where you can go to a library in the back with like other people and teach you. But again, it's, it's for a big class. Everyone's on different levels. Um, if you have that, um, that stigma where you're embarrassed and you don't want anyone to know as an adult that that's your issue. So I was, that's where I was stuck. And I just remember being like, you know, one day I'm going to create something for people just like me. And then I just fumbled through life to make it work. Um, and it took um, over 10 years for me to remember that that was the promise that I made. And um, I said, oh, this is, it's time. When I started working on my uh, literacy at 28, um, I shared with one of my friends and she started tutoring me. And when she did, it showed me that I was just, I just had holes and gaps. And once she started teaching me the foundations and I was able to bridge some of those gaps I was missing, my confidence just like shot through the roof. I was able to do more. Um, I was able to advance at work. I was able to, um, you know, actually do my job a lot better than the hours of productivity I was wasting because it took me much longer than other people to get things done. And I just remembered, like, I want to help other people do the same thing. And um, that's really my heart behind it and the passion. Um, and then my goal was to start sharing with other people so that I could help remove the stigma. So when I shared with another friend, we decided to start a nonprofit. And where it was something I was going to wait until I was like, retired to do. I'm so glad the friend gave the push to like, no, let's, let's do it together. Let's do it now. This is great. Let's help other people. And, um, so that's, that's the story and the heart behind how we're here today. <laughs> oh, that's so great. That's such a good, inspiring story as well. And, and you should take a, a second and I'm sure maybe you do this, but yeah, definitely take a second, look at where you're at now, look back and, and go, wow. Okay. I did it. I, I got a nonprofit going. I'm helping people. Like, you know, I'm sure you, you have challenges and things you want to continue to improve on, but that's really remarkable that you're at this point and especially helping out people primarily um, in the Dallas metropolitan area. And that is where you're based and, and that is where a large part of your work has has kind of taken place to this point. Um, and then the exciting part about that, though, is you're hopping on shows. I saw you're on the Kelly Clarkson show and, and all that fun stuff as well. And and you're kind of bringing this message to a more of a national level and things of that nature as well. And, and I know that uh, virtual programs are something you offer, which we'll get into and in a little bit when we really kind of de deep dive into your solution. But I think that's a fantastic story of kind of what you're doing. I, I do have one question to, to kind of help people kind of um, get a little bit more context uh, surrounding kind of function, uh, people that are at a functional literacy level or, you know, illiterate or whatever it may be. 
uh, are there certain areas where these are, where it's more likely than others uh, to find this kind of concentration and whatnot? Uh, would it be from that perspective in terms of a demographic standpoint? So you're so it's a lot of low poverty areas um, because what I always say is um, literacy does not discriminate on gender or race. It just really depends on do you have the extra funds or the resources or even the education to be able to give the assistance that you know that your child may need because right we start off as children and then we become adults but are you able to really um really pour in and give that in a lot of uh lower income areas they can't um and, and that is one of the reasons we'll, we'll get into this later but why we why our nonprofit is free we don't charge um because we want to remove that financial barrier but that's where we see it a whole lot um, and then even where like so people that are functionally literate, like, you know, that they, they have jobs and they're doing things or just stuck. Um, and it may be that financial resources because tutoring is expensive. If anyone, you know, you think about whether it's tutoring for like, you know, a subject in school or even an instrument, it's pricey when you're meeting weekly and it's not something that, you know, gets done in one or two sessions. So um, sometimes people just can't, you know, dedicate those funds to be able to um, take care of that issue. Let's take a break and talk about a new book recommendation. This one is specifically for founders and leaders in their organizations and something that you may already be doing, but if not, it's certainly something that you should consider implementing. And those are OKRs. OKRs stand for Objectives and Key Results, and it's a fantastic goal-setting methodology that was pioneered by Andy Grove of Intel and John Doerr at Google. John is the author of the book, Measure What Matters, OKRs, The Simple Idea That Drives 10 Times Growth. It's a fantastic book that highlights several examples and use cases in organizations such as Bono's One Campaign, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and Google, who have all used OKRs to catapult their organizations into having more success and innovation. These can be applied to all businesses, and though it does take some time to learn and implement, it's highly recommended to begin using in your startup, in your business, as you seek to get more organized production from your team and to keep everybody aligned on the company's objectives. So take a look at the book. Once again, it is called Measure What Matters, OKRs, The Simple Idea That Drives 10 Times Growth. I highly recommend it for your organization, and I think it's going to do you wonders in your goal-setting process for the next few quarters going forward. So let's hop back into this episode of the podcast and start talking about how Reading to New Heights' solution is helping to improve literacy among adults in the U.S. today. Yeah, it is very expensive tutoring. Uh, you know, I even have a distinct memory back when I was in high school, you know, getting ready for the SATs and all that. And, you know, I took a little uh, SAT class and I remember my, uh, I can't remember my parents just being like, this is ridiculously expensive. You better do well. You know, like, you know what I mean? So it is something that, yeah, I mean, that's another issue in and of that is how can we make that more affordable? But, you know, we can dive into that some other time. But Deidre, yeah, I'd love to kind of get down in the nitty gritty of it. You know, I really want to talk about how Reading to New Heights is empowering these people and, and, and helping them improve their lives and being able to improve their reading, which obviously 
improves their writing, which obviously improves their ability to communicate. And it's just literally a snowball effect on that front as well. So if you could just kind of deep dive into some of the programs that you offer for people that can go in and take these. And we've talked a lot about that kind of stigma as well. So if you could just kind of share a little bit about how the programs work and things of that nature, that would be great. Yeah. So I think it's always important to start that. So we started the nonprofit in March of 2020. Um, As we all know, uh, the COVID pandemic happened like three days after we were already like, this is what we're doing. We're so passionate about it. And then we got the news. Um, I'm sure like everywhere else we got shut down. So in that, uh, we had to really come to the decision. Do we still go forward or do we wait? And we let's go forward. So in that, we um, offer just a one-on-one um, tutoring. And we do it be in a sense of where we do do small groups where, uh, where we don't do any more than three, so two to three. Um, but we really were trying to focus on the individual because for these adults, they already have some skills. So our job is really to help bridge the gap of like what they're missing, what things we need to focus on. So um, it really is like a like your personal um, tutoring session and where we do use a curriculum, but we tailor that curriculum to what the adult learner needs specifically. So there is a part that, you know, everyone has to go through the curriculum, but we'll spend more time on what that individual needs. So for example, um, a lot can't decode um, the letters. So then we have a warm up where we'll spend that time to really dive in, to get them comfortable with sounding out and decoding, whether it be blends or diagraphs or whatever that is. And, and it's something that we get them comfortable and we get them in a routine because that's all reading is. Um, it is just a routine of you know, learning the basics and then it's just building on top of that. And um, so in that, our our whole goal is, so let me back up a little bit. A lot of the adult learners, so there's great programs out there like GED preps, uh, workforce development, but a a lot of adults cannot successfully pass those because they can't read well. And those programs are not teaching you how to read. They're prepping you for the GED they're giving you a workforce development. So whether it's gonna be forklift or phlebotomy or whatever that is, it's a very um, selected field. But if you can't read, they're not teaching that aspect. So a lot of our adult learners, they they haven't been able to make it through one of those programs. So what we do is we really help um, bridge that. So we're, we're working on this part and then the next step is, okay, are you now trying to get your GED? Then are you now trying to go to a workforce development course? Like, what does that look like for you? So we really uh, support with that. But also, too, depending on what their individual needs are, um, if, you know, our tutors are so great and flexible. So if we have an adult learner that says, you know, I have to read a lot at work and I just freeze up. So part of that we tailor, we'll have where we do cold reads with them. We'll pick a book, you know, we, we send it to them so they both have it, you know, whatever that looks like, and we'll really help them focus on that. Or if it's writing, you know, we spend time to really um, adapt it to what they need. And for some of them, it's just, they truly, you know, are reading at a first grade level and they need to really hone in on that. So it's really um, gives us the opportunity to really focus on what they need so they can feel comfortable and confident in their reading and then so we can get them to their next goal. 
Love it. Yeah. It's kind of like that step-by-step approach and just kind of building it up and building that confidence level and really kind of making it kind of skyrocket a little bit, huh? And that's all it is. And and one um, statistic that it's always heartbreaking to me is um, depending on how children do um, on their third grade test, um, that's how they determine how many bed cells that they're going to have in jail. Um, So at that point, there is a direct... um, line to literacy and incarceration. And for me, just reading that statistic um, and doing the research, I was heartbroken because I'm thinking, man, so we're giving up on people in the third grade or we're already saying that this is what their life is going to be. And that was always my biggest thing is I don't want my story. I don't want someone else to write my story. And that's why I fought harder to have a different outcome than what, um, society shows based off of data and statistics, right? So um, so it's just so important um, just, I, I think, to share and to really wrap our minds around at the third grade, um, depending on how you do on that th- third grade testing, that is how they project uh, bed cells for prisons. Wow. Yeah, I had no idea. And I, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I think that's ridiculous that at third grade, eight years old, what is that? Eight, nine, something like that. I mean, you're now just kind of going, okay, well, this person's done. They didn't do well on a third grade test. Well, what if you're not a good test taker? That is not good. Happy that you're aware of that and being able to kind of at least bring some information to it, because that's something that, you know, we're working to get solved, which is, you know, great what you're providing for the adults as well. That brings me to kind of a question then on that front. What are the numbers uh, in the Dallas level? And then obviously, if you know from a national level of of people that are kind of functionally literate or even illiterate at that point, what are those kind of numbers look like? I think one of the biggest things, I'm going to do the the reverse. So in the U.S., there's 43 million adults who cannot read past a third grade level, which is when you really stop to think about that is just shocking, right? Um, And in Dallas, though, it is by 20, by 2030, it's estimated that there will be 1 million illiterate, not functionally illiterate, but illiterate adults in Dallas County alone. And when when you really think about that, um, that is just shocking. Um, It's it's just truly, truly shocking. And, you know, there's we, we have to do something right. That's why we're here. We're helping the other organizations that are already out there um, to really help to combat this. And I think from we even need to do it from a world standpoint of how do we support, how do we add in those extra resources, um, how do we really, you know, pour in? And a lot of people and organizations and businesses, when they think about um, education and pouring into literacy, they think K through 12. Um, which is great, right? Because they're the future. But what I think we fail to realize is, but their illiterate parent is a has a direct line to the future. And if they're, you know, if they can't read, if they can't help, what what things are they instilling in them? What things are important? Are they, you know, they, they, some sometimes you have the reverse. Some people, if you know, they struggle with reading. They um, make their children like, you got to do this, you have to read, and they like shove it down their throat. Some do, but a lot don't because they don't want to be exposed by their child that they can't read because there's this like, as a parent-child thing, there's there's this respect thing. You don't want to feel, you know, that vulnerable with your child at that level. So a lot of them are just like, I just, all I care about is you graduate in high school. I don't care what else happens. You just got to do that. 
So when you really think about it, um, and the pandemic really helped parents to see that they couldn't help their kids. Um, it helped them to see when they were at home doing virtual school that the parents were overwhelmed. The parents were like, where are the teachers? And I always believe that um, we're teachers, we put so much on them, but it really needs to be a partnership. The teacher is taking care of the kids at school. And then when, when they come home, you're, you're picking up and you're doing the homework and you're practicing and you're making sure they understood the work. And sometimes that's not happening if the adult can't help. The only education that the kid's getting or the practice is at school. Right, exactly. And, and you know, there are other consequences of it as well. I mean, you're talking about a direct line, right? Not even just education, but, you know, what happens if because they, you know, are having struggles with their reading, maybe they're having struggle at work or something, and then maybe they're food insecure. You know, I talked to something, some a guy recently out of the St. Louis area who was creating a really cool program. And, you know, he mentioned, you know, 40 million adults are food insecure. Obviously, I'm please don't take this as a direct correlation. It's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying, you know, in, in my mind, the way that it's kind of progressing is it's kind of popped up like that. And, and you see the chain reaction into different things. And, and if that family's food insecure, then that kid's likelihood of learning how to read is even decreased more. And it's just I think that there needs to be definitely more of a direct impact on the adults as well. Because like you said, it's streamlined to that next generation. And you no, know, you're right. I, it's There's so many things that are connected that we don't even really take time to really process. So that's a great... That, that's a great um, you know, point that you bring up. And even in those, like I said, a lot of uh, lower poverty areas, you don't have a lot of those healthier um, food choice options or those gardens or different things like that. So it really keeps, it can keep, um, it can just keep things really, really um, on the, on the downslope. <laughs> so we're just trying to yeah. So it, it all, it all, it all makes sense. It all really goes together. So I, I think, um, you know, that's the thing I always try to educate when I have the opportunity to be on any funding panels to really talk about that. Um, because some, there's not even options when we're applying for grants at times, when we go under education, it's K through 12. So we're like, well, we technically don't, you know, fit under there. So we normally have to go under income because in us helping with the skill set. It will help them to have a better income that will help society, you know, and all the things. Um, so it's just so interesting, just the thought process and, and all of that. Reading is essential. I mean, anybody who's, who's who does well in life and things of that nature, they always say, oh, I read, I read, I read. I mean, it opens you up to new perspectives. It opens up to new ideas. And, and the, the ability to, to have that is taken for granted because it really does open up all those doors, like you said. Um, but, you know, I, I want to kind of ask a little bit as well in regards to that, because you've mentioned a few times about, you know, kind of a safe space. And, and then obviously there is a stigma, right? I mean, if, if most adults, if you were to tell them like, oh, yeah, this person can't read and it's an adult, like it would kind of be like, what? You know, and, and that's an unfortunate reality. So with that stigma, I know you mentioned keeping classes one on one, even sometimes two to three as well. What type of reaction are you getting from from the adults that are joining your program and, and kind of getting into this safe space and feeling comfortable and responsible? I, I got to imagine that it's probably pretty enlightening and, and it's got to feel pretty good, especially as they improve. Yeah. So so I always uh, have to say this first is I was so ashamed and I was hiding. And, and I think the first time that was on the news to share about the nonprofit and the phone was ringing off the hook and everyone had the same messaging. You know, I've been waiting for something like this my whole life. Oh my God, you get me, you know my story. I have your story. And it was so overwhelming because I think when 
and I say shameful because it was for me. I think when you know you have a shameful secret, you think you're the only one. You think, oh, well, it's me. I'm the only one that's experiencing this and going through this. But then you always find out that there's other people. There's other people that have experienced your same thing. You're not special in the sense that you're the only one that gets to go through this, right? Um, so in that, it was, it's been so great for them to know that there's hope. Um, and for them to know that, man, I share in your story and you're doing these things and, you know, you've worked on it. So it one gives them hope. And that's always um, beautiful to see because you can see when people are just, you know, hopeless and you see it in their demeanor and their posture and their tone, like and what they talk about. So to get on the phone and to do these intake calls and to hear them, it's like Christmas and they're like, oh when can I start? And I'm like, okay, well, hold on, there's a process, right? And um, it, it feels so good. And and when I get, so we record, you know, the sessions or whatever that we don't share, obviously, but it's for us just for like um, data purposes. And when I get to watch and when I get to go back and see where they started to where they are and just their conversations and their comfort and then spitting out um, like uh, spelling rules and having to explain them and it's, it's so, it feels so great. Like, and I'm always like, okay, this is why, this is why I do what I do, you know? And it, it, it's, it's just, it's beautiful to see. Um, I remember one in particular, um, before she started, didn't have a job. She got a job. She went and took her license, passed the test, bought a car. And I just, you know, you know, some people get to do that at 15 so for this person to do it at 25, it's beautiful, you know, and it's so great and the excitement and then just to where um, they're no longer ashamed. They're sharing with people. Well, I tried. They probably knew I misspelled it, but I did really good, you know, and I'm like, OK. So to just hear that and to see their confidence level, to see their improvement um, is, is really great. And then a lot of them to know that they have children that are struggling with reading too. And for them to say, I teach my children what I learn here and they're improving and, you know, they got a better grade and we read every night and, you know, all it's those moments that feel super great, you know, just to know that we're, uh, we have the opportunity to be of someone, a part of someone's journey uh, for the better. And um, it's it's so great. And, th and that was my thing. And, and when we shared, I never wanted to come to a place of um, negativity. And let me tell you all the bad things and how we got here. Obviously, bad things happen while we got here. But I, I wanted to have a solution. And I wanted to say, yes, these things happen. But here are some things that we now have in place to support with that. Um, so for them, it's it's just exciting. Yeah, it's so it feels so good. I'm so proud. There's moments I'm like, oh, when you when you graduate college, I want to be there. You know, I think that right. I'm like, I want to be there. I want to be there rooting for you. Or when you take your first trip, we have some that have never been on a plane, obviously because of reasons, and they they have these dreams to travel the world. I'm like, please send me a postcard <laughs> when that happens. Because as a traveler, as you mentioned, it, it's scary, you know, and, and reading saves you because even when you don't know the language, you know enough to kind of fumble through. And if you don't have that, it's, it's yeah, you feel, you feel hopeless <laughs> and probably really scary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's amazing. That's such a great story. I mean, you mentioned so many great things and opportunities of people just feeling elated. You know, one thing that popped into my head as well, you mentioned the parent 
reading to the kids. You know, that's a childhood memory of mine. You know, you read it. My dad used to read before bed or whatever it might be. And then you kind of get that story and you get at that exchange. Obviously, I don't know what it's like nowadays with uh, tablets and everything like that. But I hope that the reading is still there and all that front. So it's so great. I, I want to ask you, uh, Deidre, you mentioned, you know, you feeling shameful, obviously. And, and you know, I'm sure it took a lot of courage and it, and it took a lot of pep talks maybe to, to get yourself to kind of come out there as well to share your story on that front. How did it feel when you first were able to just kind of come out and say it? And then, like you had mentioned before, seeing that inbox flood of people that were also doing it. Uh, I imagine from a personal level on that in that moment, that had to validate kind of everything about what you were doing. Yeah, I think the first time. Um, so one of my best friends, she when we were launching the nonprofit, we did like a social media thing. And she was like, Fran, I got to tell you something. I was like, OK. She was like, you, you got to be all in. You're not all in. I said, what do you mean I'm not all in? I'm like, I've done all this work. I am all in. She's like, you have to share your personal story. And I died in that moment. I was like, what? My personal story that I hid my whole life from everybody? And she was like, yeah, you have to share your personal story. You can't do this work if you're going to be so ashamed. And I was just like, but I can't. She was just like, even though you've done the work, you still, you still are so ashamed. You have to share your personal story. Um, so it was probably the most courageous thing I have done in my life. <laughs> Um, so being able to put it out there and to say it, um, I felt proud of myself first, like Deidre, you know, girl, you go girl, because I knew the weight that it held for me personally and how I was so ashamed and so fearful about what people would say and what, you know, what they would think. And, you know, we're, we're in an era of like social media where everyone's voices are heard, which I think is beautiful, but in the same, it could be it cannot be full so good to other people who, you know, maybe the the topic. <laughs> um, but it was it was the response that I got when I shared was very different than what I thought it would be. Um, it was people that were just like, you know, so proud of you. I would have never known. I didn't know. And the secret messages of I have the same problem. My uncle has the same, pro you know, and just everyone identifying with like, I know when we hide it, right? Type of a thing. Um, and then the people who were, who've been waiting on me. That I think was the biggest, like, okay, they were waiting on you. So you shared and you were vulnerable so that they can have an opportunity and that will always be okay every day. Regardless of, and every, even every time I have to share, a part of me is like, okay. But the, a bigger part is, but I'm doing it for other people. I want to be hope for other people. I want people to know that it's never too late. That's one of our slogans that we say um, that, you know, it's never too late, you know, and um, we, I really believe that. So it it helped. It gets easier. <laughs> um, as every time I share, it's easier, but there's still a part to where it was a huge part of my story. Um, it was a huge part of like, you know, my character building and why I treat people the way that I do um, and just, you know, different things. So, yeah, but it felt great to know that like, you know, people needed me to share. People needed the solution that we provide and, um, and it brought them hope. So that was, you know, it was just, it, it just warms my heart every time I think about it. So, yeah. <laughs>
Amazing. Amazing. I mean, that's what life's about, right? Positively impacting people around you and, and doing that. And, and it seems that you are doing a good part of that more so than most. So that's fantastic. I love that solution. I love the feedback that you got for making yourself vulnerable and sharing that story and, and being able to uplift and help so many other people kind of a, along the way as well. So that's really encouraging. I love I love how focused you are on, on the present and the solution as well, you know, and, and the optimism surround that. Like, yes, obviously, uh, due to circumstances in the past that unfortunately cannot be changed, you know, and, and you're focusing just right now and say, hey, it's not too late. You can change, you can learn, and it's going to still empower you to do all these great things. I love that message. Yeah. It's beautiful, beautiful message. Thank you. Yes, so important. But <laughs> Yeah, but uh, what are some tips? What are some kind of uh, actionable tips out there for people that, for example, if they're listening and if they f- they are relating to this and they feel like, you know, they are not reading at a level that they should be on as well. You know, what are some things that people can maybe kind of take for steps, whether that's helping to improve their, their own literacy skills as well or helping to feel more comfortable about it? What are some things that you think people can can kind of do to kind of get them started on this process? Yeah, so I am a subtitle fan. So when you watch movies, put on the subtitles. There's just something for the picture in our brains that just help. And um, it re- it was truly my saving grace, <laughs> um, you know, movies and just different things, no matter what the topic is, you know, put on anything, but put the subtitles on so you can start seeing the words as you hear the words. Um, it's always a great, it's a great trick. Um, reading f- 15 minutes a day, no matter what it is, just reading 15 minutes a day. Um, no matter if it it could be a children's book, it could be something you read before, but just, um, dedicating 15 minutes a day to reading, to reading out loud. Um, that way it's, it helps kind of with the confidence level and just that, that cold read of, you know, not feeling like you're on the spot or whatever that looks like. Um, and then if it, you know, going through, I always say, like go through the alphabets, like, do you know all the sounds that they make? <laughs> you know, something it's something so simple, but are you confident with that? And where, you know, we have a lot of sight words, most of our vocabulary is made up with sight words that you can't phonetically sound out. Um, but you want to be able to feel com- comfortable in the letters and the sounds that they make so that as you see them, so, um, and something is like, simple on YouTube for children that's, you know, two minutes long, like just taking a look at that, quiz yourself, see what you know. And if you fumble on something, then, you know, take the time to figure it out. But um, just, you know, and then not being afraid to ask for help, um, regardless of what it is, how big or small, if you don't understand something, if you don't know something, like just taking away that fear to ask for help. And yeah, we're talking about reading, but even if it's directions, even if it's, you know, your tie is really nice today. How did you tie your tie? You know, that way, just kind of welcoming a space of just asking for help and just um, humbling ourselves, I think is just a good practice um, that helps with bigger things later. I wanted to take another quick break before we dive into the final segment of this episode of the Talking Solutions podcast and just reemphasize a little bit about what literacy rates look like in the U.S. today and why being functionally illiterate is an issue. So just according to the National Center of Education Statistics, about four out of five U.S. adults have medium to high English literacy skills, which is fantastic and really good, right? But 
That also means that one in five U.S. adults have low literacy skills, and that translates to roughly about 43 million adults like we talked about in the episode today. So, of course, of those who have low English literacy skills, just across demographics and what that looks like, 35% are white, 2% of whom are born outside of the U.S., 23% are black, with 3% of whom are born outside of the U.S., 34% are Hispanic and 24% of whom who are born outside of the U.S. 8% are of other races and ethnicities and non-U.S. born adults comprise of 34% of the U.S. population with low literacy skills. So that is to put things into perspective of what you're looking at today in terms of literacy rates. The states with the highest literacy rates are New Hampshire, Minnesota, North Dakota, Vermont, and South Dakota. The states with the lowest literacy rates are California, New York, Florida, Texas, and New Jersey. So a big reason why in Dallas, in the Fort Worth area with Reading to New Heights in Texas, it's so important so that we can help the people there uh, improve their literacy skills as well. So I just wanted to pause and put into a little bit more context about what we're talking about with literacy rates across the U.S. today. Now let's hop back into the solution and figure out ways that we can help improve these literacy rates across the U.S. today, thanks to Reading to New Heights. Um, that's so good, though, with the um, with those actionable tips. You know, the subtitles are, are really a good idea. I think that works really well. Reading, you know, a children's book and kind of progressing upwards, you know, reading every time a day, you know, it's great for the mind. It's stimulating. So I think those are really great actionable tips on that front as well. But Deidre, I want to ask a little bit now about how people can support. How can people get started if they're listening and they want to enroll? How can they enroll and and things of that nature as well and and to figure out some ways? So I guess first and foremost, if somebody out there listening feels like this is a a program for them, uh, how can they enroll and get involved? Yeah. So um, on our website, which is readingtonewheights.org, you can enroll there. We also, on on the enrollment piece, we have our number because if you need help, you can call and we will enroll for you Um, because most people may not be able to fill out the application. We understand that. So that's one way, um, you know, or just calling. So that's how you get enrolled. Any of our social media platforms, we always have a link to um, different things that we post about. So whether it is, you know, enroll today, volunteer today, donate today, all that's always, you're going to find that on our social media platforms, which Reading to New Heights, we are on um, Facebook, we're on IG. Um, I think our IG, our Instagram is reading, um, reading to underscore heights or something like that. But if you type in Reading to New Heights, you'll see it, it has our logo. Um, and then we're also on LinkedIn, just reading to New Heights. So uh, those are all the ways. And if people want to get involved, like just call and ask questions. You know, if, if you want, if you, you don't know if it's for you, where are you? That's why I always like to mention functionally literate. You don't have to not know anything at all. We have people that graduated college that are in our program um, because they're still not reading well. And, you know, and that's a whole different, you know, topic that I get lots of questions about because I actually graduated through college as well. But um, so just calling to ask the question, signing up, um, you know, whatever that looks like. But if you know anybody who you might think, you know, could use this, 
Don't tell them you can't retake this program. Just share. Hey, I heard this really cool thing today. Sometimes it's just putting it in front of people and letting them do the work the rest of the way. Um, so that's how you can get involved if you need the program. And if you are an, a certified educator, so we use all of our, our volunteers are certified educators. We do that because um, learning is, is, a, is a skill in itself, but teaching adults is a whole different skill um, because they, they come learned already. They, they've had to figure out life where children are sponges. You can tell them anything and they're like, yes, okay. Um, adults, we have lots of questions. <laughs> we can be the worst students sometimes, but it's good because we have lots of questions because we need to understand. Um, so if you are a retired educator, if you're a current educator, um, and you have a passion to kind of pour in and to give back in a very different way, we, we always need um, volunteers. We have a huge waiting list um, just because of some of the great opportunities. Kelly Clarkson brought a lot of people our way. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of people that need help. And um, so our, our minimum, you know, re requirement is four hours a week. And that allows you to serve two students. Um, so in that, you know, it's not, it's not a 20, 40 hour, you know, gig, it's four hours a week. So if you have a passion, if you are retired, you're current, you know, certified educator, um, please, and, and you're interested again on the website under the get involved, you'll be able to sign, um, to fill out the volunteer form or even send an email. If you want to have a conversation first to see if it's the right thing for you, um, that is one way. Uh, that you can get involved. And of course, um, if you don't need, um, if you, you're good at reading, you don't need the, the, the support, or if you're not a certified educator and you want to give back in a different way, um, donations are always helpful um, in running a nonprofit. So um, it allows us to continue to expand our reach and to serve more adults. Um, due to um, one of the donations we got, we were able to actually hire our first part-time instructor. So that allowed us to get some of those people off the waiting list. So we're super excited. And it was a huge milestone for us as a newer nonprofit. So um, that's great. So those are like our three big ways. And really number four, like awareness, share, 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 share. We really want to remove the negative stigma of behind adult illiteracy. Um, we want people to get help and we want people to um, invest in themselves um, by just getting the help so that they can have a better quality of life because um, it just grows our, our society. It just supports our society in a, in a huge way. So um, just awareness. <laughs> Awareness is always fantastic, and it's easier than ever nowadays. Like you mentioned, if if you if you don't have any money to donate, but you love the cause, follow on social media, reshare a few posts, things of that nature. Lots of great ways that you can do to kind of assist on that front as well. Deidre, I, I want to ask too. You, you mentioned kind of the waiting list and getting educators on board as well. Is that the biggest challenge, or what would you say is the biggest challenge uh, for the nonprofit right now? Is it getting all those educators to match? the people that, that need it? Uh -huh. I think the biggest, so here's my perfect world. I was like, yes, we're going to, you know, volunteer. And I'm a huge volunteer. So I volunteer so many different things. So like, yes, it's going to be great. We're going to just have volunteers and it's going to work. I did not know the need was so great. Um, the need to where it was overwhelming to be truly transparent. It was like so many people need this, you know? Um, so I think that is the biggest, um, 
the biggest like need and opportunity is we didn't realize so many adults needed the help that they do. And because we want a great quality and we just, you know, there's lots of people like, oh, you know, I'm a banker, I'll volunteer. And we're like, oh yeah, but you're not an educator. So, so sorry, you know? <laughs> so I think just really being able to, and we're, we're battling the pandemic. A, a lot of educators, once the pandemic happened, it shifted it so, so much. Like I'm grateful the like the volunteers we we got we we asked them before we knew that we were going into a global pandemic and they tell me all the time oh I would have told you no had it been after so so we're seeing that you know we're seeing that you know we're not getting as many volunteers as I thought we would have after the pandemic hit so it makes sense now because teachers are tired a lot of them have shifted out of teaching altogether. So just having to realize that, uh, which we're going to have to have both a uh, paid paid instructors and volunteers to be able to really meet the need that's out there. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, exactly. With that, uh, just to clarify, though, in case any potential educators are listening, uh, it is virtual as well. Like they can virtual. do this at a virtual. Mm-hmm. You can be anywhere <laughs> and you can uh, volunteer if that is something that, you know, you're passionate about. So, yeah, we have. Uh, we are in Dallas, but we have volunteers that are in California, New Jersey, New York, and then some other like San Antonio, like, you know, just just things here, too. So, um, like I said, the the pandemic helped us to just have a, a further reach or probably would have been a little more challenging. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, the virtual world has certainly taken off a little bit on that front and all in all areas on that aspect um, with it as well. So. That's really good. Uh, so any educators out there listening or anybody with that background, be sure to volunteer if you got some free time with it. Uh, it's just a few hours a week on that front. Uh, and you can apply going to the website where you can contact them today for more direct information. And if you are interested and you're not an educator, you can make a donation, which is always helpful uh, for nonprofits as well. Deidre, I want to leave you with this. Uh, just kind of one last question. You know, what are the plans? Obviously, you're still in the in the early innings, the 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 young stages of reading to new heights. You know, what do you hope to accomplish in the next uh, coming years and whatnot with this program? Yeah, so we we really want to be um, global. We want to be in multiple um, states. We really want to try to support adults everywhere so that we can just have a better world. <laughs> So that is our ultimate goal is we want, we want to grow. We want to, we want to support. We don't want to be limited to Dallas, Texas. Mm-hmm. I think it's fantastic. A better world is great for everybody. And the tool reading is huge. As we mentioned a little bit in part of the conversation, it just snowballs and affects so many different things. Um, correlation links. So Deidre, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your mission and your solution to, to how you're helping uh, adults uh, improve their reading and enhance their lives and enhance the lives of their children and, and all the positive things that kind of come with that as well. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to add that you feel like maybe we missed or anything uh, on this episode that you want people to know about? Uh, no, I think, you know, just again, share awareness is key um, to help to just empower people to just take the next step. So just, just sharing and helping to um, empower those to just to, to do the next thing. Yeah. Love it. Deidre, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I've had a blast uh, speaking with you, learning about your story and, and the positive and the optimism that you're bringing and, and then also your ambition and drive to help uh, make this world a better place. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. 
Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> that is the co-founder of Reading to New Heights, Deidre Mayberry, joining us here on the Talking Solutions podcast. She mentioned all of her links on social media, ways that you can get involved in her website. If you're listening to this uh, during the episode launch week, those will be available uh, on our Instagram, on our linked uh, Linktree page. And then, of course, we'll have her on our new website in Reading to New Heights as well. So you can find some more information there about how you can support, how you can get yourself enrolled or how you can help. Uh, as from an educator perspective, uh, these people um, enhance their lives through reading and things of that nature as well. So you'll find all of that on our usual links on that front. Other than that, I want to thank you all for listening to this episode. Uh, if you enjoyed it, drop a rating. Always appreciated. And uh, give us a follow on as well on our social media and subscribe to the channel going forward. So thank you so much for listening to this edition to the Talking Solutions a podcast. And I will catch you on our next episode. Thanks for listening to the Talking Solutions podcast. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode and check out all of our guests on our website at cheshtech.com. That's C-H-E-S-H-T-E-C-H.com to learn more as we continue our mission of supporting impact-driven founders. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Talking Solutions Podcast and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Talking Solutions. If you liked this episode, I'd really appreciate a review and a recommendation to a friend as we focus on highlighting these great founders and individuals providing solutions to societal problems and bringing optimism into the world.